Okay, I'm not gonna get all political on you guys, but I just wanna ask you a question. Have you ever noticed that some laws don't make sense? And I'm not talking about like the really controversial laws, I'm talking about laws that don't make sense to anybody. Um, For example, in North Dakota, it is illegal to wear a hat while dancing. It's the law, that's a law in North Dakota. In Vermont, state law requires that a woman must obtain written permission from her husband before she can wear false teeth. It's a law, check it, it's it's on the books. In Georgia, it's illegal to carry an ice cream cone in your back pocket on Sundays. And you read it and you're like, I have to ask, is, is that law necessary? Um, in Florida, it's illegal to have sex with a porcupine. And I can tell you that that law is not necessary. Uh, in Virginia, it's illegal to hunt on Sundays except raccoons. (laughs) You can kill those little boogers anytime you want to. Uh, In Washington state, it is on the state law, it is a law, it's illegal to kill Bigfoot. (laughs) So, you read these laws and you think, what a bunch of weirdos, you know? Aren't you glad we live in Texas, right? Where not a bunch of strange, but brace yourselves. In the great state of Texas, you can legally be married by proxy. You can actually have somebody stand in for you during your wedding ceremony. So for example, like if they schedule your wedding during hunting season, or like you have a tea time or something, and you you can't be two places at the same time. So in Texas, now, in 2022, you can legally be married by proxy. So I'm thinking as I read these laws that probably all of them, they sound so stupid. All of these laws probably made sense at some point, right? That's why they made them. They, they made sense for some reason, but now they just seem weird, right? But listen, if you wanna see really weird laws, do you know where you gotta look? <laughs> In the Bible, uh, especially like Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they're just, full of weird laws, like this thing about not eating pork, right? You, you telling me I can't love Jesus and love bacon? Uh, some people, I've heard people say, look, if loving bacon is wrong, I don't wanna be right. It, it's, it's hard to understand, you know, when you read them, because God, I mean, he says he loves us, but here it is in the Bible. This is in this Leviticus 11:7 says, "The pig is an unclean animal. You may not eat the meat of these animals, or even touch their carcasses." And I, I mean, that's harsh, right? I mean, that's that's a big ask, you know. I mean, I'm okay with persecution, <laughs> circumcision. <laughs> No bacon. In the Bible, I'm telling you, it is, it is full of weird, confusing laws about poking out eyes and not muzzling oxes and, and how to cut your hair and not wearing blended fabrics in your clothes and where to bury your poop. It's, it's weird. And I mean, we're a Bible church. Stuff's in the Bible. For example, 
Thus saith the word of God. Deuteronomy 25.5. If two brothers are living together on the same property and one of them dies without a son, his widow may not be married to anyone from outside the family. Instead, her husband's brother should marry her to fulfill the duties of a brother-in-law. Verse six, the first son she bears with him will be considered the son of the dead brother so that his name will not be forgotten in Israel. Verse seven, but if the man refuses to marry his brother's widow, (laughs) she must go to the town gate and say to the elders assembled there, my husband's brother refuses to preserve his family name in Israel. He refuses to fulfill the duties of a brother-in-law by marrying me. And then the elders of the town will summon him and talk with him if he still refuses and says, I don't want to marry her. The widow must walk over to him in the presence of the elders, pull his sandal from his foot, and spit in his face. And then she must declare, this is what happens to a man who refuses to provide his brother with children. And ever afterward in Israel, his family will be referred to as the family of the man whose sandal was pulled off. This is Law and Order, Ancient Israel Edition. Okay, is that not weird enough? Because there's more. We could do this all day. Verse 11. (laughs) I got to pull it together, man. Verse 11. If two Israelite men get into a fight and the wife of one tries to rescue her husband by grabbing the testicles of the other man, you must cut off her hand and show her no pity. Help me, Jesus. (laughs) It's important to know when to comment on scripture and when to, you know, thank you. Thanks, honey, I know. I just, I have a lot of funny things to say right now. But I have spiritual fruit of self-control. But it's hard. Because that's just funny right there. But it's not just funny. It's, it's really confusing. I mean, we're a Bible church, right? We have some hard questions to ask. It's what it says. So, I mean, is that supposed to be how Bible people act? Or or, or, are we supposed to keep these laws? All of them? Some of them? Which of them, right? I mean, and listen, it's in the Bible. It's it's in the Bible. Is the Bible just nonsense? I mean, this this is confusing stuff, especially if we believe with the Bible is just a list, right? If we think the Bible is just a long list of rules that God has handed down to us, if your picture of the Bible is you open it up and it tells you do these things and don't do these things, and if you do these things and don't do those things, you'll be cool with God, and if you do the things you shouldn't do or you don't do the things that you should do, then you're not gonna be cool with God. If that's how you see the Bible, this is just gonna be really hard when you read these weird laws. And so let me just give you some encouragement to hang in there. Because right after Easter, we're gonna start a series called How Not to Read the Bible. And one of the great keys of that is gonna be that we will never understand what the Bible says. And we will never understand what the Bible means until we understand what the Bible is. 
And one thing the Bible is not is just a list of rules that we have to keep so God won't be mad at us. What the Bible is, is an eternal epic story. And it's made up of a whole bunch of little stories and it's made up of poems and letters and laws and songs. But as we've been hearing, all of those poems and letters and songs and sermons, they're all, they're all part of a bigger story. They're part of the story that leads to Jesus. In fact, the Bible is really less of a book and more of a library. So think of this, if I wanted to tell you, really tell you, and you're you're from Mars or whatever, and I wanna really tell you the story of the United States of America, right? I really wanna tell you the story. I want you to get it, I want you to feel it. Money doesn't matter, and I can build a whole library of stuff to show you what America is all about. Then that library would include a whole bunch of stories, right? Obviously about, what, the pilgrims? and the revolution, and Paul Revere's ride, and the Civil War, and the depression, and wars we fought, the civil rights movement, um, landing on the moon, right? If I was gonna tell you the story, and you were gonna really get the story of the United States of America, it would have a lot of stories in it, but it wouldn't just have stories. It would also include, I've got a whole library, I would include some speeches, right? Like the Gettysburg Address, Four score and seven years ago. Think about what that says. Our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. That's, that's important. That's, if you want to understand America, you have to understand that speech. If you want to understand America, you have to hear Martin Luther King's I have a dream speech. Right? I have a dream that one day my children will be judged not by the color of their skin but instead by the content of their character. I, I mean, of course. If I want you to really get the United States, you have to have that speech. And how about Kennedy saying, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. If I want you to really get America, of course I have to have some stories, but it also has to have some some speeches in it. And you know what, if I really want you to really know America and really experience America, I would include some music, some songs, America the Beautiful right? The Star Spangled Banner. Maybe even like jazz music, because that was invented here. Maybe even like some country music. I'm thinking of that Toby Keith song that says, Uncle Sam put your name at the top of his list. You know that song? Listen to it on your own time, because uh, there's (laughs) several reasons I can't sing it for you right now. Um, But if I really wanted you to get this country, I would play some of our music, because that way, that's part of who we are. Right? That, that's, that's part of who we are. And also I would include some letters, right? George Washington wrote a famous letter from Valley Forge. That has, if you're not gonna understand America if you don't read that letter. Um, Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail, right? And not just the good stuff. I would include Nixon's resignation letter, right? You really wanna understand America, you're gonna have to see these letters. And also we're a nation of laws. So it's gonna have to include like some legal documents. It's, of course it would have to have the de- Declaration of Independence. Right, of course it would have to have the Constitution. And listen, all the amendments, all the amendments, even the 18th Amendment, that made liquor illegal, that was prohibition, that's not even a law anymore. But that's still part of who we are. I would would include all the laws, right? The ugly laws that made slavery legal and kept women from voting. And I would have the beautiful laws like the Emancipation Proclamation, right? If, If you went through that whole library 
and you really saw those stories and those speeches and those, and those songs and those letters and those laws, you would really know the story of America. And the Bible is like that. It's, it's a library of stories and poems and songs and letters and speeches and laws, but all together, they're telling one story. And it's a story that leads us to Jesus. So in the Bible, when we read the Mosaic Law, it, that's part of the story, right? It's, it's not a list of what we have to do so God won't be mad at us. It's, it's part of the story. And a lot of that story is about this family that Jesus came out of, Abraham's family, the, the Jews and the Hebrews, the Israelites. Last week we talked about how God led them out of slavery and led them towards freedom and the promised land. And while they were on that journey, they, they made a long stop at Mount Sinai. And there, God gave them the Torah. God gave them a lot of the law. And that law is an important part of the story that leads to Jesus. Remember, it was like a covenant, like a deal between God and people. And so God calls Moses up on top of the mountain, Exodus 19, and he's like, these are my laws. Tell them, right? You want this covenant? Here's what it looks like. Go tell them. Here's all the laws, verse five and six. So this is Exodus 19, five. He says, if y'all will obey me and keep my commandment, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me and you will be my kingdom of priests. Do you remember we talked about that? That's what Adam and Eve were supposed to be. Remember they were supposed to be royal priests. They were supposed to represent man to God and they were supposed to represent God to man as his image. So he says, if you, if you do these things, if you keep these laws, you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This word holy, it, it, means, it means different. It means like picked out, right? It means like called out, um, um, like di- distinct from everybody else. And all in, it's like over 600 laws. And I mean, you've read them, and we read a couple today, right? Some of them were for like health and safety. They're going through the desert, so they had to have some rules. God knew what lay in front of them, and they probably didn't. So some of them, you know, they didn't have, some of the laws were like about health and safety stuff. They didn't have penicillin, and they didn't have refrigeration, and they didn't have Yeti coolers. So a lot of these rules are about like food and how to keep it and, and, and how to stay healthy. Some of them were about procreation. God had made this promise to Abraham that his family was gonna explode and become more than the stars and all that stuff. So a lot of the laws are about, pro- that's the brother-in-law thing, right? That's what that law was all about. We can't have this family line stop because somebody dies. So some of the laws are about procreation. Some of the laws are about taking care of God's good creation, right? So that's where you see the laws about like not planting every year. You're supposed to give the land every seventh year off or something like that. That was, that was about preserving the, the planet. But a lot of the laws fall into these four categories, okay? And these are just my categories. There's a lot of laws here, 600. But to me, you can kind of sort of group them up into these four categories. So one is about holiness. It's about being distinct from the people around you. Some of those laws were just about being different than the rest of the world. So they had the laws about circumcision and and weird haircuts and no tattoos. Why? Because they were among the Amalites and Amalekites and Amorites and Hittites and Bovertiites and all these other ites, right? They were among all of those other people and the plan was for, for the Philistines, everybody, to see Israel and say, man, those people are different. 
And so in a lot of those cultures, they were worshiping their false gods with tattoos and the way they cut their hair and the way they ate. And God said, you know what, we're not like them. We're gonna be separate from them. We're gonna be distinct from them. We're gonna be different from the Amalekites or whatever. So the plan was that all of those other peoples would see God's people and say, man, those people are different. Those people got something, right? Those people know something. What, what do they know? And, and how, how can I meet their God? That was, that was the plan, holiness. A lot of the laws are about holiness. A lot of them are about um, sacrifices. So if you think about like, at its gut, right, at its core, sacrifices were ceremonies to like illustrate their repentance, right? These were ceremonies to make things right with God when they failed. So think of this, the holiness thing was about them representing God to the people around them. Sacrifices were about them presenting and representing the people and themselves to God. That's what a priest does. He represents God to the people. He represents the people to God. So a lot of these things were about holiness. A lot of these laws were about sacrifices. A lot of these laws were about sacred time with God, like um, for worship. So like um, holidays and ceremonies and, and the Sabbath, all of those were ways to honor God and his faithfulness. So a, a lot of the laws are about how to worship. And then the fourth group is justice. These are laws that are just calling for justice. God is a God of justice. So there's a lot of laws about how to treat each other fairly and how to help the needy and how to keep strong, mean people from hurting weak, gentle people. So not all of the laws, but the laws typically generally group up into laws about holiness and repentance and worship and justice. And so the way he issued those laws, that's what holiness, repentance, worship, and justice look like in their context, right? In their world, in, 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 in their time. And so one of the great challenges for us as Jesus followers, as, as, as people of the book, is to do the same thing, to trust God's wisdom so much and to trust God's love so much that we'll do the hard work of trying to understand what holiness and repentance and sacrifice and worship and justice look like in our world and in our time and in our context and in our culture. So here they are, they're God's people, they're out in the desert, they got 613 laws. Um, how did they do? <laughs> Not good, thank you, that was kind. That's, uh, it was iffy, you know. It wasn't iffy, they were horrible. They were horrible. The very first law he gave them was, have no other gods before me. While they were hearing that law, they were building the golden calf, right? The, the, the ink was still wet on that law and they're worshiping this calf. And then they kept breaking the first law over and read the Old Testament, man, over and over and over and over and over and over. In fact, if you read the, the storyline, really read, you know, suck it up sometime and really read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it wasn't just like God said, look, here's 600 laws and then they failed. It wasn't like that. It's like little bites. So like he gave them a couple, they failed. Give them a couple more, they failed. Give them a couple more, they failed. So it's like law, failure, law, failure, law. It seems like God was trying to find a law that they could keep. But that, that, they couldn't. 
That's, and that's a, listen, if we wanna get the whole thing, if we wanna understand the story, a huge part of the storyline is they couldn't keep the law. They were just like Adam and Eve, right? They were just like Noah. They were just, they were just like Joshua. They were just like Abraham. They, they, humans didn't trust God's wisdom and God's love enough to just trust him and do what he said was best. And that's like the definition of sin, right? Choosing for themselves what they thought was best. So sin had like broken mankind on the inside and so what came out was broken. So it's kind of a sad story, but as it's happening, God is promising over and over and over through the prophets that one day he would transform humans. One day he would transform mankind, starting with their heart and changing who they really are on the inside so that now these new humans, these transformed people can really trust God's wisdom and trust God's love and keep his covenants and become his royal priests and and be with him. The prophets prophesied for hundreds of years that this was gonna happen. Uh, In Ezekiel, we've got the scriptures, we'll put them on the board for you. Ezekiel promised uh, that God would give us a new heart to replace our old hearts. Jeremiah promised that God said, you know, someday we're not even going to need laws because he's going to put his instructions in our heart and he's going to change us from the inside out instead of from the outside in. And Isaiah chapters 52 and 53 said that God was going to accomplish all of this through Messiah, through the, the, the suffering surf- servant. Can you, can you think of who that is? Let me give you a hint, okay? Anytime, like if you're in Sunday school class or something like that, and they ask, what do you think it's about? Just say Jesus. Okay, you're gonna be right almost every time. So who do you think this suffering servant is, this Messiah that God's gonna bring about these changed hearts through? Who might that be? Yeah, probably Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus fulfilled the law, because he, he lived by all the laws. He kept all those stupid laws. In fact, he did more than that, because he kept the ideals that the law was designed to express, right? So there were these ideals about holiness, sacrifice, the sacred time, and justice. Those, those, those ideals were there, and they expressed themselves through this group of people in that culture, in that time, in the desert, in the Near East, right? That's, that's what it was. Jesus even kept those. But in addition to that, he kept the ideals of those laws of holiness and sacrifice and sacred time and justice. He, he, he was the better Adam. He was the better Moses. He was the better Noah. He was the better Israel, right? He was the faithful covenant partner who actually could be God's true image and actually could be God's priest. And he taught us that we could fulfill all of the laws just by keeping two. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Jesus says, you must love the Lord with all your, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is, is just as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Look what he says. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So we've gone from 613 laws. They're all summed up, right? You keep these two, you are keeping the rest of them, right? And then he even goes further than that by saying the best way we can do the first one, the best way we can show our love for God is by how we love each other. 
the people made in God's image. And so this is John 13, 34. He says, now I'm giving you a new commandment. And this word new, it's not like a new one that comes alongside it. It's like, this is the superseding commandment, right? This is the new and improved commandment. This is better than the old commandments. It says, now I'm giving you this new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. So this is really fascinating to me. Jesus not only fulfilled the law himself, he simplified it for us by taking us from 613 to two. And the 613, listen, we had 613 laws that don't even make sense to us, right? 613 laws about how to eat in the desert, right? And what to do if your ox falls in a ditch. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean anything to us. So we've gone from 613 laws, a whole bunch of them don't even matter to us or mean anything in our culture, in our context, in our world, and now he's got it down to one law that does matter and does make sense and can be explained and can be expressed in our time, in our culture, in our world. He made it really simple, but he didn't make it easy. And this, this is the greasy grace thing, right? No, just say yes to Jesus and do whatever you want to. He, it's, it's, that is so wrong. That is, he did like the opposite of that. It's like he said, okay, all you really gotta do is love each other. If you do that, you're golden. And then he starts telling us what that looks like. Right? He like raised the bar. So like in Matthew 5, uh, he said, it's not enough that you don't kill someone. Well, of course you don't kill someone, right? But it's like, that's not enough. If you assassinate their character, right? If you curse them, then you've already committed guilty. You're guilty of murder in your heart. He said it's not enough not to have sex outside of marriage. You shouldn't even think about it. Otherwise, you've already committed adultery in your heart. He says if you have something against someone and you hold on to that, right? I'm mad at you, you did me wrong. I'm mad at you, I'm gonna hold that against you. He's, you know what, he's, don't, he said, don't go to church and go through the motions and take communion and act like everything's cool. He says, if you got something against somebody, go to them and make it right for real, right? Before we talk about communion, before we talk about going to church, go to that person and really, truly let it go and really, truly forgive. He, here's, a, here's a good one. He says, it's not enough to love people who love you back. But fulfilling his law, really fulfilling his law to love one another means loving your enemies. So Jesus is saying, yeah, I've made it simple to understand, but really being my disciple means really loving people. And not just going through the motions on the outside, but actually loving them from the heart. And when you do, right, when it's changed inside, then the actions of love will follow naturally. So I know what you're thinking. Thanks a lot, Jesus, right? Because, I mean, maybe I could keep those 613 laws, right? That's a lot, but if I had them written down, I could, I mean, what I wear and what I eat and not muzzling an ox or grabbing testicles or whatever, maybe I can do that, but nobody can do this realistically. I mean, nobody can really, no man can really truly love women without lust. And nobody can really love people so much that we don't even say anything bad about them or, or, or think anything bad about them. And nobody can 
really forgive somebody that really did them. I mean, you can't. I mean, I'd rather just wear the sideburn things, you know? I'd rather, I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And this thing, loving your enemies, it's like it's not realistic, you know? It's only one rule, and I, I, I can't do it. And I think that's true. I think I can't do it. And I think you can't do it in our own strength. But Jesus took care of that too. Because he didn't just fulfill the law. He fulfilled what the prophets promised us. That it wasn't just gonna be a bunch of rules written on paper or tablets or scrolls. What the prophets promised us from God was changed hearts. So that what comes out of us is naturally going to be coming from a changed, new, loving heart. Not a cold, this is why we talk about being born again. It's a whole new heart. It's, it's new on the inside. It's not a hard heart anymore. He promised that he would send his spirit into the hearts of his followers. Just like Jeremiah said, just like Ezekiel said, and that he would transform us from the inside so that we could become like him. So in John 14, his disciples are all sad because here they, put yourself in their shoes, right? They're living with God. Right? They're camping every night. They're hanging out. They're going town to town. They're doing ministry. They're going to weddings and parties and having fun and going to see miracles. They're with God all the time. And Jesus tells them he's leaving. So they're all bummed out. But then Jesus promises to send the Holy Spirit to transform them and to, to, to change them. Not just their actions. Not just changing their actions, but changing their hearts. In John 14, 17, he says the Holy Spirit lives with you now. But later, he's going to live in you. So do you see the difference? Under the law, we might hate someone in our hearts, but we're not allowed to kill them, right? That's, that's, that's the law. But Jesus' spirit in us is changing our hearts so that we don't want to kill them anymore. So instead of the hate being overcome by our self-discipline, now the hate is replaced with love. So Jesus fulfilled the law by living a perfect life, and Jesus fulfilled the prophet's predictions by changing our heart, and that's why you always see him talking about him fulfilling the law and the prophets. This is Matthew 5, 17. Don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. See, before, like, the idea was that we're gonna, we're gonna try to be good by keeping these laws, and we're gonna try to be good enough that we can be God's royal priest and, and represent God to man and represent man to God. And Adam wasn't up to it. And Noah wasn't up to it. And Israel wasn't up to it. And we're not up to it. We're trying to get right with God by keeping the laws and like looking good on the outside and hope, like if I do enough good stuff on the outside, maybe it'll sink in, you know? Maybe it'll actually change who I really am on the inside, but Jesus changed all that. So he, he forgave our sins, and then he filled us with his spirit on the inside. And that's changing us from the inside out. So we don't need to kill an animal or wear curly sideburns or build an altar or try harder to keep all these laws. And we don't need to feel shame when we don't. We just need to connect to Jesus, his word and his spirit in us as he leads us and empowers us to love one another like he loved us. So 
if we want to experience real freedom, if we want to experience real change, if we really want to be in communion with God, that's what we talked about from the beginning, right? We were in Eden and we got separated. If we really want to be together in communion with God, if we really want to do what he's calling us to do, and if we really want to become the royal priest that he's created us to be, we gotta stop this thinking that keeping the rules is gonna get us there. What gets us there is Jesus and experiencing his presence and the power of his spirit to change us from the inside out. Jesus' commandment, one commandment, it's so much better than trying to keep hundreds of rules because now it means we love each other better than the law requires. It means he gives us the will and the wisdom and the power in our hearts to know and do what is right with our lives. It means we can live a life without fear that, oh, I'm gonna break one rule and he's gonna be mad at me. It means a life without guilt. It means a life without shame about rules that we broke in the past. It means confidence. It means peace. It means joy. It means communion with God. And it means we can love Jesus and still love bacon. <laughs> so, we'll see if we've been listening. Here's a little test, a couple of questions. Remember the laws were mostly about holiness, sacrifice, worship, justice. Should we still honor God by pursuing holiness, sacrifice, worship, and justice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Question number two. Will holiness, sacrifice, worship, and justice look the same in our culture, in our time, in our context now as it did 3,000 years ago in the Near East? No, I don't, I, don't, I don't own an ox, right? It's not gonna look the same. Question number three, and if you get this one right, there'll be a prize. Will keeping those rules or keeping any rules save us? Galatians 2.16 says, we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ and not by obeying the law. We don't pursue holiness and sacrifice and worship and justice so that we can be saved. We pursue those things because we're saved. And that pursuit is led and inspired and empowered by Jesus. It really is all about him. Seems like we said that before. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the law because it shows us how broken we are. It shows us how all of, of Adam, all of mankind is unable to keep it. It shows us that, that we're broken. It shows us that we need to be saved. It shows us that we need to change from the inside out. Thank you for the law. But Lord, so much more than that, thank you for Jesus. He didn't come to abolish the law. He didn't come to abolish what the prophet said. He came to fulfill them. So he lived a perfect life and showed us what that looked like. He showed us what real love looks like. And he even fulfilled the prophets because he changed us from the inside out when he sent the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. So Lord, thank you for the law. Thank you for this provision that you've made that we can be made right with you, not by keeping 613 laws, but just by putting our faith in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Since you guys passed the test on your way out today, we have a little reminder from you for you about how much God really loves you. So enjoy it on the way out. God bless you guys. 
Have a great week.